Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a minute and talk about a product that we both love and use, and that is Simple Spectrum Supplement. Simple Spectrum is doctor formulated and third party tested, and they use only the highest quality of bioavailable ingredients. So it is free of all the junk and Simple Spectrum was designed with our kids and their sensory needs in mind. So it is unflavored dissolvable powder that is free of gluten, casein, added sugar, soy, Basically, it's everything you want and nothing that you don't want. Another reason why I love Simple Spectrum is because they are a brand that really educates and supports families, and they're putting out products that parents can trust. They also just recently came out with a fish oil that is awesome. I will say that we've been using Simple Spectrum for a while now, and when we first started using it with Logan, we really noticed a difference in his overall focus and attention, and that is something that the whole time we've been using it, we have continued to see the benefits of. So if it's something that you're interested in trying, you can go to their website. And if you use the code AIA at checkout, then you will receive free shipping on your order. So definitely, I totally recommend it. And like I said, if you want to try it, you can use the code AIA and you will get free shipping. Now on to the episode. everyone welcome to adventures in autism episode 168 i am megan carranza thank you so much for coming to listen if it is your first episode welcome so happy to have you and if you've been listening thank you so much for coming back to the show i just want to say thanks so much to everyone who listened and reached out after last week's episode with Manny and especially to everybody who wished Logan a happy birthday. We celebrated his birthday this past Sunday on his actual birthday. Um, and it was really awesome. I had shared in that episode how I had just gotten him a bunch of candy for his birthday. I got him like a couple little kind of fidget toys and balls, things like that. But really it was mostly candy, which is all he wants. And he had an awesome day. We went to a trampoline park in the afternoon for a little party with family and a few friends. And it actually was just a really awesome birthday, which I am super excited about. I still can't believe he's nine. But here we are. So we are just gearing up for the holidays around here. I may end up taking off a week or two just while the kids are on Christmas break. Honestly, I haven't decided yet. I have a lot of uh, recordings in my vault. So a part of me is like, I should just like get through those. But also it's nice to just have some downtime and hang out at home. So I hope everybody is enjoying. They're kind of leading up to Christmas. I know it's sort of a crazy time. I actually shockingly was like on the ball this year with getting shopping and presents and all that done um so it kind of feels nice to not have to be rushing with all that but if you are rushing and still shopping I understand because that has been me pretty much every year ever until this year I don't know what's gotten into me (laughs) although I still have not mailed out my Christmas cards yet so not exactly a hundred percent 
Okay, but anyway, I am so excited to get into today's episode. So my guest today is Pamela Feliciano, which you may not know her by name, but you are probably familiar with her work in some capacity. Pam is the scientific director of SPARC, which is the world's largest autism study. And I first became familiar with SPARC the day that Logan was diagnosed, his doctor, the developmental pediatrician that diagnosed diagnosed him, gave us a stack of paperwork on our way out the door. And one of those things was for Spark. And basically what she explained to me was that this was the world's largest study of autism and that they are doing gene sequencing and trying to get as many people on the autism spectrum as they can to further the research with autism, which obviously sounded great to me then still sounds great to me now and I have kind of always had this in the back of my mind knowing about spark because like I said it was it was the very day that Logan was diagnosed and then just a couple months ago Pam's team at spark reached out and asked if I wanted to have her on the show which I jumped at of course and this is a really great episode and truly very different than any episode that I think has been on the show um, I really have not spoken to somebody like in the science field and just speaking about like the genetics of autism and all of the things that go into that I admit is like totally over my head but Pam really broke it down in a way that at least as much as she could was easy to understand at least the basics of and I just felt like I learned so much from her. We also talk about some of the more like controversial things like you know the autism diagnosis rate is on the rise all the time. We talked about vaccines, things that like I don't often like to talk about on the show because I just feel like there's so many like differing opinions. But I felt like with an expert like Pam, how could I not talk about them? And I just really appreciated all of her answers and just her willingness to, you know, discuss these things as well as just kind of getting into like the nitty gritty of the genetics of autism, like what a just huge, vast kind of topic to talk about. And she just did such a great job. So I'm going to stop yapping. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Pam. Hi, Pam. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I am super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, I'm not familiar with your backstory so much, but I am very familiar with your work. And when your team had reached out and asked if you would want to come on the show, I was jumping at the chance to have you on because I think that a lot of people, whether they know it or not, are probably familiar with your work. But as we were just kind of chatting beforehand, there's always sort of the beginning of the story. And I would love to hear yours. So if you will kind of take us back to the beginning and kind of the genesis of everything, I would love to hear. Great. Okay. Um, I think the beginning um, for, for me started in about 2006. Um, my son Dylan was two and a half years old and he wasn't meeting developmental milestones. Um, I think that he experienced some regression in his language, but it's so hard to diagnose these things after the fact. Um, but around that time, um, I, I expressed my concerns to the pediatrician. Um, and it was a long journey, but I, um, I, I think I didn't get 
exactly the best advice from the pediatrician. I mean, she told me to go see a speech and language therapist, but she didn't say mention any like concerns of autism at that time to me. Mm -hmm. um, but gradually, as I took him to early educational specialists in that six months, it it became clear to me that people thought that he had autism, which was a shock to me. Um, I remember um, an early intervention psychologist coming to my house to evaluate him. And after the evaluation, she told me that if she were me, even though she's not allowed to talk about di diagnoses, she would be worried about an autism diagnosis. And I remember just being really shocked. I had never met anyone with autism before. Um, I, I just never thought that um, my two and a half year olds could be um, on the autism spectrum. Um, but you know, all in retrospect, it all makes sense. And I see the signs now um, that I didn't see so clearly then. Um, so then um, sometime in that year, he was diagnosed. It took a long time to get, you know, an appointment with a developmental pediatrician. And, you know, there's that whole long story that I think a lot of people go through. Um, he did get early intervention. Um, and at that time, I actually started going to this lecture series at our local hospital. Um, it was given by Bridget Taylor of Alpine Learning Group in Paramus, New Jersey. She's actually this very well-known behavioral um, applied behavioral therapist. Um, she has founded a school that a lot of people know about in this area. And um, she also was a, a central character in a book that I had read um, in that year called, um, oh gosh, now I can't remember the name of the book. <laughs> anyway, um, she was a well-known behavioral person mm -hmm. um, and had a big autism school. And I watched her videos that she would show and I didn't think that the therapists in my house were doing it quite as well as 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 um, the people in the videos that I saw. And, you know, I think there's just um, a lot of variation in, in applied behavioral therapy and, and other kinds of therapies that you get. And mm -hmm. that was just my whole launch into really trying to find the best program for my child. Um, I ended up having to move. Um, we that year because of the issues of the school district and not um, feeling as if the school district we were in was really supporting him the way I thought he should be supported. Mm -hmm. uh, we moved and to a different town and, and that helped a lot. Um, Dylan was really lucky. He went to a small school um, that was driven by the principles of ABA and he had his own one-on-one -on -one ABA therapist um, at school all day long. Um, by the time this happened, he was already, he had just turned four and that's when he entered into this school. Um, but the year before that, he was basically at home 40 hours a week with ABA. And, um, I, I took a leave from work. I was actually a postdoctoral fellow at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, um, in New York city at the time he was diagnosed. I took a leave of absence from there for a few months and then, you know, went back after he started at the school. Um, but, you know, it was such a stressful time, but I actually um, have, in retrospect, have really fond memories of that time. It was so intense with different therapists every single day coming in and out. And I remember every single Wednesday we'd be sitting in his room, the three, the, I don't know four or five therapists plus a lead therapist for three hours every Wednesday. Um, and 
at the time I didn't think I would ever miss it, uh, but I, I do now, you know, thinking about mm -hmm. it. Um, there's such an intense focus on, on his intervention. And um, it, it was really a, a privilege, I think, to like have that time to really focus on, on him and, you know, everything that he needed. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so he ended up going to the school. Um, it was it was a fight, but you know we got through it, and he got into the school. There were a lot of times when I didn't think it was ever going to happen that he'd be home at forty hours a week forever, um, but it did, and he really thrived there. Um, he went there for almost ten or eleven years. I can't even keep track. Um, <laughs> and it was a school that that would have kept him till he's 21. Um, it was a three to 21 program and a lot of kids who enter at three do stay till they're 21. Um, but Dylan definitely was ready for something else. And so he went to an autism classroom in a public school uh, for three years after that. He had a graduation from this autism school that a lot of people came to and it was really just something so special. He gave a speech that he read. Um, and now he goes to, he's in a semi-inclusion program. So he goes to a typical high school with his brother. Um, he's in the autism classroom most of the day, but you know, there are a lot of opportunities for him to um, be included. And um, now he's in high school. So he's like already doing things in the different offices and doing clerical work and, and things like that. So he, he's really come a long way. Um, but I, the journey with autism and learning about what it takes to support a kid with autism, um, has mostly been positive. I'd say, I don't, I, I, I'm grateful for him and mm -hmm. grateful for all I've learned and grateful for all the motivation that I have, um, in my professional life to drive forward the science of autism. It's really fascinating and I'm in a really wonderful organization and have a lot of privilege to be able to do what I love every day and, and have it be so meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think many people get to do that. And I'm, I'm very lucky for that. Um, and I think that I bring a real personal perspective to the work because we are doing so much outreach with families and really trying to um, help families understand uh, the science of autism, which is really complicated. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, it is autism all day, every day. And um, I think about my, my son's challenges every day and think about the enormous challenges that other families face uh, more so than I. And um, I know what a challenge it is um, with him. So I, I have a lot of empathy and um, really hope that the work we do will help people um, because I know that we need, we need support and help. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I love hearing just about your, your whole journey with your son. So he's, how old is he now? He is 16. He's going to be 17. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's always it very quickly because my son is nine and I feel like okay. so much has changed just with like the landscape of autism and like, yes. just, yeah. What, what we know, what we're learning just yes. the time that he's been diagnosed. So I mm -hmm. imagine for you, it's probably like, it's, <laughs> there's so much. There's so much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, but like you said, you know, having this very personal, you know, backstory, there's nothing more personal or precious to us than our children. Yes. I can only imagine how much that would inspire your work. So tell, tell me, how did you get involved with Spark? And I mean, just, just kind of like everything about it for people listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had, um, I had known about the Simons Foundation because it is in New York City. And um, I, I knew that there was a strong focus on the genetics of autism there. I, um, after my son was diagnosed, I left my, after I finished up my postdoc and then I went to work for Nature Publishing Group, which publishes um, premier scientific journals. So I was an editor at, at this journal called Nature Genetics, and I was there for five years, like really being immersed in um, the cutting edge next gen sequencing technologies that were just coming online at that time. So um, high throughput exome sequencing and genome sequencing that we take for granted today, um, I guess this was like 10, 11 years ago, um, was just starting to come come online. And so I spent five years there really immersed in the genomics of everything, the genomics of all human medical conditions, cancer and um, neurodevelopmental conditions like autism, but also um, any kind of human medical condition that geneticists are studying. And, but I had known about the Simons Foundation. And I guess after five years at Nature Genetics, I really thought, you know, I've learned a lot here, um, but I really do want to focus on autism if I can. And um, so I had met people at the Simons Foundation Autism Research Initiative in my five years at Nature Genetics. And, um, you know, I just reached out and, you know, talked to them about different roles that they might have open in the future. Um, so what ended up happening was that I did get hired by Safari, um, which is what we call it. And, um, Spark wasn't even a thing at that time. Um, I was hired to be part of the science team. Um, the, the Simons foundation had already done something called the Simon Siplex collection. So this was, um, Geez, this was a collection of 2,500 autism families across the country. And I think they were recruited maybe 15, 15 years ago, something like that. Um, they had just finished up this, this big cohort. And um, I think starting to think about something like Spark, but, but not yet. Um, so um, when I joined, I, I worked with Wendy Chung. She, I was working with her from, from, when I joined Safari. And, um, you know, I think it just became clear to everyone that the SSC was a very successful um, project, um, but we needed to have something bigger because the genetics of autism is so heterogeneous. There is not one, two, three, four, five genes involved in autism. There are several hundred. Mm -hmm. And to understand that heterogeneity, we had to sequence a lot more than 2,000 families. So the first sequencing of 2,000 families showed us that we could do it, um, that, you, that you could sequence them and you could identify genes that are important for autism. Um, but it also told us we had to keep going. And so that happened in the first two years, I guess, when I was at Safari. And um, the idea for Spark came about and we we just built it. I'm, it really is amazing. And like how you were saying, um, the genetics of autism 
it's so far over my head. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, 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 it seems like it is and it is complicated, but I can explain it a little more at some point during our conversation. I would well. love for you. Yeah. To- okay. Just tell me what point. Please. If you have at it, because I, okay. I feel like it's something that, you know, I, I mean, again, it's so far over my head, but it, it, it's there, there's so much confusion about autism. Yeah. And- especially in like mainstream media. And I feel like us as autism parents or people listening, like we have a more, we understand more about autism, but it's like, Mm -hmm. there's still so much to know. So yes, if you would Mm -hmm. break it down, that would be amazing. Sure. Sure. I mean, I think that the easiest studies for, for people who don't have a scientific background to understand are twin studies. So these were actually done in the 1970s. Um, So people studied, groups of twins and they found that in identical twins where the genomes are exactly the same if one person has autism the other twin almost always has autism too so somewhere between 75 85 percent concordance so 75 85 percent of the time if you also have the same exact genetic material as a person who has autism you know you have autism um, and then in the, the, if you look at fraternal twins, um, that share a uterus, but don't share, you know, a hundred percent of their genes, um, the concordance rate is about 40%, somewhere between 30 and 40%, depending on what study. So lower than identical twins. Um, and then if you compare that to siblings, so full biological siblings have the same amount of genetic overlap as fraternal twins, but don't have that shared environment. Um, uter in the pre-uterus, um, pre-fetal um, component, um, that concordance rate somewhere between 10 and 20%. So what those three things tell you there are that the genetic component of autism is really strong. Mm-hmm. And we see that from that from the twin studies. And that's autism heritability is actually much stronger than many other common disorders or m- common medical conditions. So if you think about things like diabetes or um, heart disease, the twin concordance rate of those things is much lower. So it's, it's autism is definitely one of the one of the highest um, having a strong genetic component. Um, and then, sorry, that was a sec, that was a tangent, but um, <laughs> compare the identical concordance rate to the fraternal concordance rate, you know, that shows you there's a strong genetic component. And then if you compare the fraternal twin concordance rate to the siblings, um, that shows that there's quite a strong environmental effect also. Um, so those three things tell you there's a strong genetic component and there's also an environmental component that I think is much less well understood at this point, but, you know, hopefully will be better understood in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear that. And I feel like that is something more people I think need to know. And like I was saying, even like in like mainstream media, I I feel like there again, so much confusion about autism and yeah. Yeah. Where it comes so the from. Gene, yeah. So the genes that, that, that are responsible for, for autism are, are very different. So there are different types of genetic um, factors that can give someone autism risk. So you, I, have you ever heard of de novo variants? Yes. I'm not sure if that's a concept. Okay. So de novo variants are, make up maybe somewhere between, gosh, um, 
at most they they would explain maybe 20% of autism genetic risk. So a, a fair amount, um, mm -hmm. but it's not everything. A variation that geneticists understand the best. These are um, typically what happens is that you know, child or, or offspring has autism, but neither of the parents have autism symptoms. And it's because the sperm or the egg that formed that child um, has had a mutation or variant in a gene um, that's really important for brain development. And that's what's causing their autism. De novo mutations, so far we've identified at least 150 genes that can have such such variants and lead to autism. So it is not simple. There, there are many different things that can um, change th that gives rise to, to, to autism. Mm -hmm. And um, they're also pretty rare. So each gene, maybe it explains a, a half maybe even less than that, half a percent of autism. Um, so, and the, they're random. So every person, I think this is another important point that every person on the planet has de novo mutations. So you mm. have de novo mutations, I have de novo mutations. It's just that they happen randomly and they randomly happened at a very crucial base pair in a important gene for brain development um, in people with autism. So interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that is an important thing to understand that everybody has David Novo mutations. It's not that the mom did something or the dad did something to make that De Novo mutation occur. It just, it, they happen in everyone and mm -hmm. um, they happen randomly. So then there's also something called that is less well understood than the De Novo um, risk and that's inherited risk. So these would be variants that are passed from a parent to a child. Um, classically, these, these, these mutations are much less well understood than de novo mutations, but I should say that Spark, I think, is really helping us to better understand these variants. So we have a paper um, coming out soon. I hope it's under <laughs> peer review now um, that will help explain these types of variants. So we found genes where the variants are clearly um, very rare. So they're, they don't happen, um, they're not common in the population, um, but they are they are found and passed from a parent to, to kids with autism more than they are not. So um, that's, that stuff is a little more complicated, but it's, it's out there. I mean, I think that we all know families where, oh geez, like autism does run in the family or autism, similar, similar, mm -hmm. similar symptoms to autism. Maybe it's not complete autism, but it's something else, um, somewhere on the spectrum, um, running in families. And I think these, these types of variants are, are more like, um, explaining those situations. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I want to ask, and I mean, this might sound silly and I feel like I know the answer, but I, I, because I have you, I want to ask you, <laughs> um, obviously, you know, the, the rates of autism have risen so much in the last however many years. And that's something that I, from like, again, kind of like the outside people I get asked about all the time of like, right. why are so many more people being diagnosed with autism now? Mm -hmm. And the, the answer that I usually give is that I think we just have more, you know, understanding and, and better, like more of a finite 
sort of the spectrum being so wide and just understanding that more and that more kind of falls under that umbrella. But you as the expert, what is your answer? That's that's the right answer. Um, It is it is just better knowledge, better ascertainment. Um, I think that these these kids were were always there um, and they they might not have had the label of autism, mm-hmm. um, but there is no evidence that there is an overall increase um, in anything but diagnosis just because we're better at diagnosing. Yes. And, and it seems like, you know, years and years ago, the cases that were diagnosed were only like the most extreme cases. Mm-hmm. That was what mm-hmm. was understood of autism at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. That's yeah. right. Um, okay. Well, in that same vein, then I feel like I have to ask this question. Okay. What, what's, what is your answer? And I, I normally don't talk about this on the show, but again, I have, okay. it here, so I feel like I have to ask, yeah. but I'm going to ask about vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vaccines don't cause autism. I mean, I think yeah. there's been so much scientific research put into this question and there is no evidence that vaccines cause autism. It's just not it doesn't, it doesn't jive with what we know about the, about the genetics, um, about, there are certainly environmental factors that cause autism. Um, but the more we learn about autism, the more we understand this is really a developmental, um, diagnosis that started in the fetus. Um, something doesn't, didn't, didn't go quite the same um, as typical kids during brain development. Um, probably starts somewhere in the second or third trimester. Maybe the symptoms aren't super obvious until the child is a year old and really starting to um, display externally, you know, obvious social signs. Um, but it is not caused by vaccines. How crazy does that make you? <laughs> I mean, I, I understand it. I, yeah. I, I get it. Um, the, the journey of a, of a kid with autism can be tricky. You think, geez, my kid was fine. Now all of a sudden, you know, things are not going right. And it just happens to be the time that they, they are getting vaccines. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of, I mean, all, all parents with a child with some kind of medical problem want to know why. Mm-hmm. And when the, condition that their child has is something that we understand well today, like cancer, um, you know, we can explain it. We're not going to attribute cancer to vaccines. Um, But when we don't understand it, like autism, we're going to try to find an explanation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's part of the problem is that autism isn't well understood. Um, the biological basis of autism isn't well understood. I can't like for cancer, I could tell you, you know, we all know, you know, some, some cells started growing out of control. Now you've got a tumor and the cells won't stop growing. Um, but I couldn't tell you today, what is the cellular basis of autism? Um, we don't know that yet. Um, Mm -hmm. we're starting to make some headway and that's why the genetics is so important because it gives biologists tools and anchors into the biology to start to understand what, um, what, what are the cellular explanations for what's happening in autism? Just like we have explanations for cancer, um, or diabetes or or some other condition that we understand well today. Um, but we don't have that yet for autism. And so 
people try to find explanations and also treatments that aren't scientifically or evidence-based. Yes. And, and like you said, it's like, it, it's just kind of like almost like a timing thing of that when, when we often start to see these kind of signs of autism, like you said, it does seem to kind of sometimes correlate with when kids are getting their vaccine. So it's like, you're just looking at like every possible, you know, like you said, everyone's looking for an answer and right. the answer is just not that easy. Right. Right. They're not. Um, but they are getting better. Yes, absolutely. So tell, tell us more about Spark and how people can get involved and just the benefits of, of getting involved. Sure. So um, Spark is uh, the largest research study in autism in the whole world. Um, we have recruited over 100,000 people with autism. We've sequenced um, about 50,000 people with autism to date. And if we haven't done it today, we're, we're definitely going to be doing that within the next few months. Um, so, and we have started analyzing this data and are publishing on this data and made discoveries with this data um, and started to really understand at least the genetic basis of de novo mutations um, and given scientists a list of 150 genes um, in the genome that are important for different parts of brain development and um, lead to autism if there, there's a you know loss of function or strong variant in those genes. Um, what the benefits are for families are that um, I think just having knowledge, if there is a chance um, that we would find a genetic explanation for someone's autism. So today we are able to explain about 10% of the cases that we recruit. Um, so we identify a genetic cause and then contact the families and return that information back to them. Um, and I think that for the hundreds of families that we've given results to to date, it, it can be life changing um, just for to understand um, the, that origin and to have that why, mm -hmm. um, I think, is really meaningful. And there are tons of videos and um, stories on our Spark for Autism website and YouTube channel that explain that. Um, but. For most people who don't get a genetic diagnosis, I think there's still a lot of information um, that you can get through Spark. So um, one thing that we ask families to do is to fill out questionnaires. But for a lot of the questionnaires, we are able to give an indiv individualized report back to the family. So if you fill out something like the SEQ or the um, ABC or the RBSR, these things are um, just questionnaires about autism symptoms symptoms and autism behaviors, we're able to give you a chart that shows you where your child scores and compared to the rest of Spark. And because we have such a huge data, it's, it's, it can be um, just helpful to know where, where your kid um, scores. Um, I think that these reports are, can be really helpful to take to IEP meetings. Um, you know, if you want some objective evidence showing that your child um, is scoring low or performing low in a particular area or has particular behaviors. Um, sometimes that information I think can be really impactful um, in IEP meetings. I personally have brought stuff to IEP meetings. Um, so there's that. I think um, we're always trying to push out information that's helpful to families. So we have webinars, we have um, other kinds of like articles um, 
And I think just being able to um, be up to date and informed with the research and where we're going, I think can be really helpful to families. And then I think, you know, a lot of people do this because it, it, it will help eventually. Um, maybe it's not going to help their kid, but for the kids coming in the future, um, the more data that we have at Spark, the more we'll under, be able to understand and the faster we'll be able to um, eventually have treatments to help support people who are seeking supports. Absolutely. It really is like how you're saying, you know, it's like we know so much about cancer and, and diabetes and there's still so many questions around autism. And it's, it's just like, to me, it's so inspiring to know that there are people like you and this foundation that are working on the research. And like you said, like really making progress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we're really fortunate at the Simons foundation, um, to have the funding to be able to do this program because it's not something that I think would get done with government funding. Cause typically government grants are, you know, limited time. Um, but we have the resources to be able to do this longitudinal cohort and to work on it for the next 20 years. And um, I, I can promise everyone that we are very dedicated to this, to this mission. And many people on the Spark team have connections to the autism community. And um, we just want to move date, the data and the science forward. And it is really a privilege, I think. Um, that we get to do it. And then I get to spend my life um, just pushing this forward um, for my own son and and all the other kids out there. That was going to be my next question, because it's like for, for somebody like you who has actual stake in this, what is it like for you just like working with these families? And like you said, really, you know, giving people answers that they maybe wouldn't have otherwise. I, I have to imagine it's just like, like you said, like this is like a dream come true for you. It is. It is. I, I don't think I ever imagined when I was doing my PhD um, before my son was born that I was going to have a career in autism genetics. I mean, I was in genetics, but I was actually not studying medical genetics. I was studying like more basic science research um, and um, using animal models. But I think that it's it just all came together for me and i'm grateful for it every day i'm grateful for spark i'm grateful that i get to um help i think that um i am i am probably very very motivated i'm mm -hmm. a motivated person and um i think that it's i'm i'm glad too that i get to focus my efforts on on this big big, um, condition that is not well understood. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm sure everybody is just clamoring to get involved now after listening to you speak. Can you tell people how they can get involved with Spark? Oh, sure. So all you have to do is go to sparkforautism.org, um, and sign up. Um, we will mail you a spit kit. And I think you know, when we first started, like collecting DNA by saliva was not super common, but I think <laughs> lots of people have already done this for other things, um, maybe for 23andMe or Ancestry or something. Mm -hmm. But um, it's it can be challenging if your child doesn't spit, but we provide these like sponges that you stick in um, 
the mouth and it just absorbs saliva and it, you know, it takes a little time, but it, it's definitely worth it. Um, I think, um, we will take care of your sample sequence it and, um, all the data that spark participants give to us, we make free to all qualified researchers. So researchers have to sign our data use agreement and agree not to do evil things with the data. Um, and we are that in that way, I think it really amplifies a person's contribution. So they're not just um, contributing to our study, they're contributing to research of hundreds of researchers across the world. And um, by doing that, I think um, your efforts are really expanded and um, all of the data is used for, for scientific purposes that um, will help, I think, just all of us understand autism better. It's really incredible and so needed. And like you said, even if it's, you know, not a situation where you're personally gonna, gonna get some type of answer that, you know, may change your life or whatnot. It's like to know though, that you are a part of something bigger and like, yeah. helping kids to come. Like it really, it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think people just need to know that there is a really strong genetic component to autism. And, you know, again, with the twin studies that, that just, um, something that I think is pretty easy to understand. And, um, the more we dissect the, the genes involved, the more we'll understand and we'll be able to give people that cellular explanation for what's happening in autism, um, and make it all, I think, just more grounded in, in biology and medicine and less grounded in things that are not evidence-based. Yes. Cause it does, it, you know, the more, the more questions there is, the more space it leaves for guessing and right. Right. That are, yeah. right. <laughs> right. 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 And it, and it's particularly harmful, I think, because you know, when it comes to your kid, you want to do everything possible. And um, it's, it, I think it leaves parents in a very vulnerable situation that the autism diagnosis and without, you know, a really strong explanation for what causes it. Yes, absolutely. I can definitely attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Pam, I just appreciate you coming on the show so much. I feel like I've learned so much listening to you and I'm sure the listeners feel the same way. And really, I just can't say thank you enough for all the work that you're doing with Spark. And I, I'm just so excited for everything that's to come. Thank you. It's really an honor and privilege to be able to work on Spark and, and work on data just for the purposes of learning more. So, um, you know, I, it's not, it's not me personally. It's just, I happen to be in this situation where I can do this. So, but thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and take care. Bye. Bye. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Pam. I really just enjoyed that so much and getting to talk with her. And like I said, just hearing her, you know, talk about these 
a little bit more controversial topics that we don't often discuss on the show, but hearing it from somebody like her who is so knowledgeable and this really is like her field of expertise. Um, I just felt like that was something that we had to, we had to go there. (laughs) Um, and just talking about spark and the genetics of autism. So interesting and something that I would love to learn more about and very interested in. So having her on was just so exciting and really I'm I'm so impressed and thankful for all the work that she is doing at Spark and everybody, all the scientists there hard at work. So if you are interested in giving a sample and becoming a part of Spark, having your child become a part of Spark, I have the link in the show notes head there and like she was saying they really do make it as easy as they can to get that gene sequencing done and again even you know you may be one of those people that really gets like very specific information that is very helpful to to you or your child but I just feel like even if if that's not the case I just think this is something that great that you know we can all do to just kind of like keep moving the wheel which is like so important moving the needle I you guys I'm getting a little confused with my (laughs) with my terminology here um but yes definitely check out that link if you would like to connect with me you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com i always love hearing from you guys and thank you so much just for listening for being so supportive and that is all for now and until next time take care